Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. Today I'm talking to Leah Moore, UK comics writer who has written for existing franchises, adapted novels to comics, and created new original properties. And perhaps most importantly, Leah has written many well-rounded, interesting female characters, something we need to see more of in comics. But while my minimal introduction leaves a little bit to be desired, um, Leah, why don't you give yourself a proper introduction for our listeners? Um, hi, everybody. I'm Leah Moore, and I am very proud to say that I've been writing comics as my pretty much my sole means of paying the bills for 15 years, and I have done pretty much every different type of comic over the years. We've done uh, loads of licensed characters at um, places like Dynamite Comics, so we've done Witchblade and The Darkness and Sherlock Holmes, Dracula. We've done uh, Small Press, we've done Dark Horse, all kinds of stuff, and we've just done our first ever creator-owned book, which we're so, so happy to finally do. Um, which is Conspiracy of Ravens, which is Dark Horse and is a all-ages magical girl super team book. So, yeah, we've kind of we started off at the kind of the crazy dynamite franchise kind of end of the spectrum and worked our way back to girls in a boarding school with magical powers. So, yeah, I think there's I I can't think of an awful lot that that we've not written over the years. In case people don't know, you work in collaboration with your husband. Yes, most of the time over the years, um, we've we started writing together in 2003. Um, I did a couple of stories for Wildstorm, two little eight-page stories that um, I was just I was really excited to get published. One was for Terrific Tales, and one was for Tom Strong. And then Scott Dunbeer at Wildstorm said, "Oh, why don't you come up with come up with an original series?" As you, like he said, oh, I'll give you some homework. Come up with an original series and pitch it at me. And obviously, I was so green. I was just like, oh, okay, that seems pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> just like, oh, really casual. Just do that. That's fine. And so me and John were just kind of kicking ideas about together because we'd only just started going out together. So we would be sat in a pub with a pint, talking about, oh, if we were, if I was going to write a project, what would it be like? And the more we talked about it, the more we were like, actually, this would be brilliant to do together because then we'd just get to sit in the pub every day <laughs> and just talk <laughs> about comics. <laughs> that was my master game plan of, like, you know, uh, achieving a perfect life. Um, and we we ended up coming up with Wild Girl together, which was um, kind of an all-ages magical girl story bizarrely um about a, a girl who's she's made homeless and she's she discovers that she can talk to she can communicate with animals she goes on she's basically like she goes on all these amazing kind of um little mini quests where she ends up meeting all these different animals and it's really cool and me and john totally got into it and we we're like this is it this is gonna be our like this is gonna be our life and then we finished the six issue mini series and we we're like oh I suppose we should have set up some other work or <laughs> some other kind of, you know, um, yeah. So after that, we were kind of going, right, let's, you know, quickly hustle up other work. We, we both quit our day jobs because obviously you do that when you've just secured your first ever script in, mm -hmm. you know. So we were like, God, let's quickly hustle around and find find what we can find. And so that and then that was the next 15 years basically doing doing a lot of stuff that we loved and a lot of stuff that was work for hire and you know a lot of a, a big kind of jumbly mass of 
massive everything and we we've only recently started writing separately and i don't know if that's like a confidence thing to do with oh i don't know if we can if we can do it you know separately or if it's just kind of more expedient because nowadays we've got three small children and they're you know they're in school a lot but that day goes past so quick <laughs> so yep. it's kind of like come to three o'clock in the afternoon and it's um it's game over for the whole writing thing so i think possibly it's a bit a bit of both at the moment we're trying to do stuff separately just so that we've got so that we can divide our time up more easily but also there just seems to be a lot of projects that we're separately interested in and that are actually sort of more my bag or more his bag kind of thing so I'm quite amazed by you know that you're able to work so well together that's that's quite unusual and you're very lucky (laughs) but the, the problem was I think we used to work so slowly like when we were really like writing everything together we would sit there for hours and hours and you know what it's like if you if you sat with a friend talking about something that you're interested in Mm. you know you oh my god that would be amazing and it branches off into these enormous things and those enormous things and and basically it was taking us uh, I, I can remember when we were doing wild girl it took us like a whole month to do a 22 page issue and at the time we were like wow we're like we're doing a book a month that's like pretty fast and, <laughs> and mm. I was thinking, like, honest to god the, the for say you'd think that I would have some kind of knowledge of how of how the whole thing worked by that point but no we were yeah it was so slow but we were sort of it was it was a luxury we were just sort of going like oh you know where would we take this storyline if we could take it anywhere nowadays when we write something we're like have you got any ideas at all? Anything, a crumb, anything. And you go, yes, I have a crumb. Right, go in that room, lock yourself in, work on that crumb until it pays our rent. Okay, <laughs> bring me coffee. And, you know, it's a little bit more kind of, um, yeah, a bit more pragmatic than it used to be, definitely. When it comes to, because you've written franchises, you've written, you know, you've got your creator-owned title you've got some adaptations I mean how do you even like they they seem so very different how do you approach the different kinds of projects with adaptations we tend to they almost start off like really academic kind of we do tons of research we do tons of rereading and note-taking and everything so uh, like when we did Dracula then we'd I'd already studied it a couple of times because I did an English degree, so I'd I'd read it. And yep. John is a massive sort of horror nerd, so he'd already seen like loads of the the movie versions and things. And was we both had a really good general, you know, the sort of the radio version or the abridged version that mm-hmm. somebody had to do in school. And so the stuff we get asked to adapt, we normally have a pretty good background, literature background on that. We tend to approach those sort of in a research way i think with the other things where it's like a, say a franchise book or a or even our creator own stuff it really just depends on who can kind of who comes up with that kind of seed or crumb or whatever it is first so sometimes it, you know we used to have kind of leisurely brainstorming sessions where we'd sort of sit around and and throw out every single thing we could think of to do with it and every association and um you know just like word association or or you know what 
just basically we used i used to say it was like just sort of tipping your brain that part of your brain out onto the table and seeing what you what you had kind of thing it's a very different process i think i think kind of in the olden days then john was he was faster at that so he'd generate ideas a lot faster than i would and so i'd end up kind of refining them or he'd come up with ideas and i'd tell him they were useless basically <laughs> so, so um yeah i would we'd sort of end up sort of sifting through it all and finding the bits of it that really sort of seemed to fit well together and then putting it all back together like a puzzle so i guess it is a very very different process depending on what kind of book it is the the creator owned book that we just did we had um our wonderful artist sally jane thompson the, the the book was started by um an image that basically um john won a twitter giveaway thing you know like a retweet to win oh yeah and it was retweet to win a sketch and so he won it and sally dm'd him and said what would you like for your sketch and he said oh i don't know something that's a bit like got some victoriana and i really like corvid I really like birds, particularly corvids. And so that was all she had. And she went away and drew this amazing drawing of this girl opening a locket and this great big cloud of ravens coming up out of it. And we were so blown away by it. And we were we all, me and John and Sally on Twitter were going like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, she looks like a character out of a really cool book. That looks like <laughs> an amazing book. Imagine a book where like there's these girls and they've got these like magical powers and these like items of, of jewelry and they can like summon birds or and then we were like shit we need to take this off twitter immediately <laughs> <laughs> when your idea is so good that you have you like stop wanting to like twi- twitter brag about it and actually <laughs> like quickly go ah we need to but it was years and years ago i can't even was it about like 2012 or something like that when he, we actually did the um thing and we so that idea seemed to sort of arrive fully formed, fully dressed, all of it. We just sat down and went like, oh, well, I suppose it would be kind of like this. And then wrote the whole kind of breakdown for it. And it took us a little while to find a home for it. And each time we sort of tried, then we'd sort of refine it a bit more and and go over it. And, you know, Sally did amazing drawings throughout the, the process. So, so it it really helped to have her working on it at every step of the way because it really felt like we'd properly developed it, you know, developed it with her. I think comics, you end up kind of, a lot of our projects, we've ended up being brought in to write something that's already, you know, the characters are already there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, in the case of a lot of the Dynamite books, they're like, oh, we want you to do that person, you know, Witchblade versus Dorian Gray. And I was like, I remember at the time I was thinking, well, how how do you write a story that's got witchblade she looks like a model but she's a police woman but she's also got this alien armor that turns into a spiky bikini and she's fighting yeah. dorian gray who's just a guy with like who's very handsome and with, kind of with an excellent collection of rugs and jewels yeah. yes <laughs> exactly and so you just sort of our career if nothing else has prepared us to have literally anything thrown at us and we'll kind of grab it and start running. And that, like, so I think having a creator own book, the, the luxury of being able to go, what would we write given, given half a chance? 
kind of thing. How would we write this this conspiracy of ravens one? Because it's it's the first time we've done one that's all ages, and that feels lovely. It feels really nice to be able to write something and have the kids be asking, "Oh, what are you doing? What's that? You know, that looks fun." We just got it's just come out now, and then um, we've got our books through, and so my eight year old is like oh what's that oh can i read it and i was like definitely you can read it and so that's what he's got next to his bed and he's uh-huh. like oh can i can i read for a bit longer and i'm like yes you can read for a bit longer but make sure you give us good feedback this is, <laughs> you know, we need to know <laughs> give us that five star amazon review <laughs> exactly exactly but it feels sort of like coming back full circle because because wild girl was the first book we ever did together and that was you know all ages and about a young girl and it was all kind of it had folklore and fantasy and stories about birds and animals and it is kind of a fascination of ours over the years and it just feels really perfect to be sort of coming back to that and and also it kind of makes me a bit cross because I'm like see <laughs> we told you we told you in 2003 that this was an excellent idea why did nobody <laughs> nobody believe us the the process between us as a couple is it's always different depending on depending on what the project is really because it's there's some stuff that I'm re- I'm really into like I did um classics in English for my degree so anything that I can uh, remotely lead off down a sort of classical kind of bent towards you know Greek gods or whatever mm-hmm. then I'm I'm happy to do that but John is really into he's really big on films he's really big on kind of Poe and Lovecraft and all the kind of history of horror and he's into sort of music and stuff so I guess what our comics end up being is kind of a a mixture of all of that but (laughs) in different proportions I guess depending on who's put what into it. Is it easier or harder to do like completely create your own work when say you're working for franchises I imagine there are certain limitations you know you you're dictated certain you can do this you can't do this you know you you we want the characters to end up in this place so that it'll carry on, you know, is it more freeing to not have those limitations or does it actually sort of give you too much freedom in the sense? Um, I, yeah, I think that is an element of it. I mean, if you basically, if it's, if it has any flaws when it's creator owned, they're all yours. Do you know what I mean? There's nowhere to hide. Yes. With that. Uh, whereas if it's a franchise thing, then you can kind of go, Oh, well, how it's sort of it was impossible to begin with or it was really kind of you know there's there, also in comics you've always got this it's always like a shared responsibility between the whole team so you know it depends how well that team gels as to like how successful the final result is in a way but I think with with something like conspiracy where it's just me and John and Sally and I mean like our editors at Dark Horse have been amazing but it definitely is like it's something that we're doing it's just us it's our ideas it's our plot it's our character designs everything about it is us and I definitely I don't know if it's easier or harder but like the it uses a totally different kind of toolbox of stuff I think that um if you're if you're a comic writer for a a long time and you're doing a lot of different projects you know sort of if you work on say 2000 AD then it's kind of it's science fiction but it's also you know you could do like got a lot of other different like sort of fantasy elements and it's short form Mm. so that's a different challenge and it's um periodical so you've got to like 
you know episodic so you've got to like wrap it up in a few pages and then start it again and wrap it up again and conspiracy was is it 150 pages but it was it, it we did it all in one long i mean it took us it took us obviously months and months to do but we we didn't have one part of it coming out while we were still writing the other part okay which yeah. is a, a strange i mean sally was um drawing it so we couldn't kind of go back and go oh actually that character doesn't exist anymore but we still had <laughs> kind of we had an ability to sort of edit the whole thing and it was definitely a challenge to put out a whole book in one go because we we just it, it ended up we ha- having to come up with one whole one whole story and then stick to that and then go for it i think that our serial our books that we do for like dynamite or whatever where we're we're kind of we submit a loose outline and then mm-hmm. we write issue one and issue one is normally like you've got to be pretty punchy with your first issue you've got to make sure that people are like coming back for issue two and then the rest of your issues tend to be kind of a balancing act of like pushing the plot along and making sure that it's exciting and making sure that there's enough to hook you in and develop the characters and everything so it's i think that um writing the series as we go along ends up kind of being a more of a sort of technical kind of a puzzle a sort of a problem solving thing where you go (laughs) oh we need to get to that bit here how do we get there in 22 pages and we've still got to include these scenes and we've got to make sure this character meets this one and we've got to make sure and there's often just great big nebulous like question marks where we're like we have literally no idea what to do for issue three because you know there's sort of like all this has ended up getting crammed into two and we know that that goes in four so we, it's um so i think the challenges are really they're really different depending on the form of the book as well as the um the the genre or or whatever it's um doing doing conspiracy has been sort of hugely freeing in that it's like they they just went yes we love this idea write it quickly do it um <laughs> but at the same time having like a the end of an issue to aim for like oh every 22 pages you've got to have arrived at kind of a whole load of plot points if you if you're writing the book all in one go then you're like did we arrive at some plot points? Did anybody like? There's kind of less of a um, ability to sort of keep an eye on what you're doing, kind of thing. Yeah. I was really worried that I get to like page 132 and go, "Oh my god, <laughs> has anything happened? Or <laughs> are we going anywhere?" <laughs> I just sort of sat there chatting, and it's really nice. But how is this? Yeah, that it was. It's a worry, but do you know, I absolutely. I loved it. It was really lovely to be able to just sort of play in that in in a world that we were we were interested in, and we were. It was brilliant to put stuff in just because we thought, oh, if people are really going to get a kick out of this, they're gonna in, they're gonna want to be that person, or they're gonna like identify with this person, and and I think that that's true for you know even for adults reading it, but I really hope it's true for for sort of kids and teenagers reading it because it's um. It's those kind of books when when you're little and you're like if you're a little nerdy bookworm, then the books that you read are they sort of they're part of you, aren't they? So yep. I, I had like a um, my bed was next to the window, so I had my whole windowsill was my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. So I had like from one side of it to the other was I was only must have been about kind of seven or eight or something, but I had you know every possible 
book I could get my hands on and to make sure that they were mine I got um I had a load of stickers that had come free with something and I put a sticker on every book so that I was like these are mine you know I've <laughs> marked them nobody come near my book so I had like all the kind of um Narnia books I had um what else did I have like Tom's Midnight Garden and the Secret Garden and uh, all kinds of um like the faraway tree books just like yes. all all kinds of things where you just sort of like you never ever get tired of of reading them and yeah. I'm sort of hoping that there's a load of little little bookworm kids out there that are really excited when they the conspiracy of ravens ends up on their windowsill I guess is the hope yeah <laughs> it's a good hope to have hmm <laughs> Let's let's talk a little bit about British comics because, uh, you know, a lot of sort of the big superhero comics and the big big names people tend to know about, other than maybe 2000 AD, you know, it's it's very much steeped in American culture, and obviously from being a British comics writer, do you think that you and other British comics writers approach subject matter differently to those based in the US? And you know, when a lot of these the kind of tropes that are steeped into comics you know how do you work to translate that to a british identity hmm i think i think that definitely is a thing that british comic writers do i think that we we definitely kind of do have to translate it because i think that the the sort of all american kind of fighting hero you know the sort of 50s or 60s sort of idea of of superheroes is so kind of it's sort of straightforward in a sort of patriotic heroic good like there's no kind of moral ambiguity like everybody's kind of working on these kind of very um uh, kind of cut and dried uh ideas and i think that you know historically then when british british writers have written them then the british sort of the british identity seems to be to say yes but what's really happening what's that really like you know what is their real reason for doing that and i don't know if it's because we've got such a sort of a long comparatively long history so we have like a a rooted idea that everything is not always that simple kind of thing or you, you know like america has a, like a very sort of a short history that is very kind of grounded in large solid kind of cornerstones of like right and wrong and freedom mm. and and i mean obviously at the moment i'm not going <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's <laughs> not like, touch that <laughs> let's not go near it but it's um it, i think that the sort of the the period where superheroes were becoming where they were invented was during during the war and mm. You know, if you have Superman punching Nazis, then everybody knows that Superman is like, you know, the American GIs and the Nazis are the Nazis. And it kind of it all makes sense. Um, And I think that because the, you know, the characters, they're the same characters, but they've kind of evolved over the years. And I think that it's I think that sometimes British writers can be a little bit kind of slightly embarrassed by the plainness of that kind of um, emotion or that kind of that place for a story to come from. So I think British people are kind of more likely to be like, oh, well, you know, are you really that into it? Are you that, are you that kind of gung-ho? Are you that into it? I think British writers tend to kind of try and make it like 
put um, some kind of a foil on on the characters or on the stories where whereby they sort of give themselves an angle to look at it from. And I don't know exactly what I mean by that, but like, uh, well, like when when Dad did Swamp Thing and he had John Constantine. And John Constantine is now this, like, you know, classic character that everybody's like, oh, my God, he sort of completely typifies, you know, the whole Vertigo line mm-hmm, and all this. Yeah. But I think that basically if he was a sarcastic kind of scouse fella mm-hmm. who would kind of cut through any of the kind of highfalutin mystical kind of whatever was happening, he'd have come some kind of a, a witty riposte to it that would just kind of be like well uh, what what do you actually mean by that and would would sort of question it and i think that 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 john constantine sort of model of you know characters that are kind of a bit darker and sarcastic and they more kind of morally gray as well yeah morally yeah. gray and really kind of Oh, but is it is it all cut and dried? Can you really be patriotic when all of this is happening? Can you really be? There's that kind of I don't know if it's maybe a bit of self awareness or I don't know what it is because but the, that definitely seems to be the flavour, you know. Like um, Judge Dredd is like a satire about a you know a fascist state, mm. and but when the film came out, then it's like oh Judge Dredd, this is really cool. This is like the the, the satire element kind of got almost washed out of it because it's just like oh he's a cool guy he's he's tough he's got like you know he's gonna blast everybody with his you know law <laughs> you know it's, it's I, I don't know it's definitely different it's definitely and, and i know that the sort of the the big boom for like getting british british comic writers in then i guess that that must have felt like a different a really sort of fresh a fresh take on it all and i know and now you know we've you know we're we're everywhere, but, but it's, <laughs> yes. But it's it. I think that the sort of um, that kind of serious, serious, dark, historical, you know, take on things. I think is um, is definitely is definitely a a facet of the the British British writing style, I guess. You've written a bit before about uh, the need for better female representation in comics. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking specifically of a guest post you did for Warren Ellis in 2012. Do you think yeah. the industry has made any improvements since then? Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if we take the word improvement quite loosely. No, I think um, that post... I felt when I wrote that because Warren said to me, he said, "Just what anything you want, just write like about anything." The only thing that came out was kind of a, a sarcastic, angry kind of rant. Basically, um, I don't know if that's just <laughs> this is a common theme when you say, "Leah, what do you think about this?" And I go, "Ah, <laughs> <laughs> this is just a sarcastic, angry rant." But um, basically, there was I think it was where there were there were slightly more women slightly appearing in in general you know at conventions or in in comics and i was kind of i it's always been sort of dismaying to me because i've i've been around comics and aware of the industry and in the periphery of all of it for my my whole life and i've i've never understood how 
how it came to be such a boys club, how it came to be such a a little closed off thing. And I can only assume that it's as it like as it stopped being mass, you know, sort of millions of copies of comic as soon as comics stopped being everywhere then it became like a niche thing but um i think that at the time there was a few i I kept getting put on every time i went to a convention i'd get put on a women in comics panel and i i always Mm. assumed like the the type of women that i used to end up on comics panels women in comics panels with they weren't the only thing we had in common was that we were women so like I'd, i remember being on one with emma vicelli who does like amazing artwork she does writing now she's got a fantastic style she does loads of like she did all manga shakespeare stuff and we could talk a bit about the sort of the literature side of our of our books but we didn't have tons in common i remember i was on one with um pia guerra who was kind of she was doing why the last man i think at the time and so she was kind of doing this amazing, enormous book that was dead interesting, but kind of the panels that we that we'd end up talking about, they'd say, oh, so what what is it like being a woman in comics? And there was this strange thing where um we'd all kind of take a deep breath and then kind of just go, Oh, well, um, and nobody nobody would ever say what it is actually like being a woman in comics so if if you'd gone on a sarcastic angry rant about like power girl's tit window or <laughs> like the impossible rob liefeld spines of like you know mm. b- b- seeing boobs and bums in the same yep. square foot of each other and if you'd if you'd mention the kind of um you know, Gail Simone's women in refrigerators mm-hmm. kind of um any of that was it would have been like a huge downer, a massively like weird, sort of sudden radical thing to say. It wouldn't have just been stating the absolute plain, honest, blindingly obvious truth, which mm-hmm. it is these days. At the time we'd all kind of go I remember there was a thing where we were like oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you're a man or a woman because, you know, I don't type, like, using my ovaries. So (laughs) I I generally use my arms and my head and everything, and it's kind of pretty much the same as it is for a guy. I just come up with a story, and then I send it off to my editor, and then they publish it. So it's not actually a kind of... I remember these answers that I used to kind of... uh, We all kind of skirted around the, the the topic, and... When I wrote the thing for Warren Ellis, I was just like, this is, it's so ridiculous to me because I think there'd just been the enormous big Twilight saga boom. We were still kind of, there's still the enormous Harry Potter boom. Like, I'm, I'm in the, in the piece, I said, how can anybody make an argument that women aren't interested in comics or that there's no call for girls' comics when girls, the, are completely responsible for the enormous meteoric kind of financial success of all of these enormous media brands you know like most of these companies are propped up on these a couple of properties that make all their bread and butter all year in year out and i i said you know if the um you know you if you look at beatlemania that wasn't a load of like chin scratching music 
dudes sitting around in a room going, yeah, I think that, like, you know, the lyrical quality and the kind of, you know, the... I mean, obviously they did that as well, but the actual, you know, Beatlemania was founded on kind of women going, ah, that does something completely different and I need it and it has to happen and I want to buy all of them now. And I said, so that is something that that women do. I think guys do it too, but I definitely think that once once women latch on to something that they like they very definitely do just kind of go yes i you know mm-hmm. i need to have all of this and i said i said in my piece that i thought that comics was really really missing a trick by kind of confining itself to kind of the sort of foul smelling locker room of like you know comics <laughs> yes. fandom of like yeah. kind of let's just sit here and and look in our cupboards and have a look and see what pictures of bums rob liefeld has done you know like it's it, it just felt weird and kind of um counterintuitive and just kind of foolish to me and i thought like surely to god women will buy comics if the comics aren't appalling and if they don't treat women appallingly in the comics and um and maybe and lo and behold <laughs> lo and behold i think that um you know a lot has changed there are fantastic i remember when things like um lumberjanes and squirrel girl and yes like, you know when they came out i remember thinking like oh my god being an angry old feminist in comics makes me just want to write angry old feminist comics where i just ran incoherently about the patriarchy but <laughs> actually you know what is possibly more fun for other people to read is like just a massive great big plethora of amazing comics that have got all kinds of different characters and all kinds of stories and don't have a a ranty agenda which you know I'm reluctant to admit but you know you might not want one of those in every single comic but it's just it's so refreshing when you see people putting out you know, when you see these people doing well and more and more books coming out and exciting projects. I remember um, the new Captain Marvel yes, being like, yeah. oh, my God, and seeing and seeing Jamie McKelvey's costume designs and the cool hair and the cool. I was just like, oh, this the last sort of 10 years just feels it does feel different to me. It does feel like we've actually kind of, you know, I think possibly things like. Uh, I think market forces always shape these things a lot more than we than we realize because stuff like um, Kickstarter and Patreon and, um, you know, Indiegogo and things that let, you know, basically the whole kind of how do you break into comics question, which is always, you know, ubiquitous. Then I think, you know, there's a lot of a lot of women specifically who were able to just go and say, I'm going to write this comic and it's going to be about this and I'm going to draw it and it's going to take me a while. But if you give me a dollar a month or whatever, I'm going to get it done. And there's a few of those that I think that that kind of crowdfunding thing that relies on networks of Mm. interested, like-minded kind of people. I think that, I think that possibly women really found that they could get stuck into that. I remember I used to read, um, girls with slingshots all the time on online and it was one of those where if i'd missed a few weeks then i'd have to like quickly you know catch up on them all and it's funny they um 
I'd see sort of then Danielle had done like convention appearances and she'd collected them into these books and I was like oh this is this is amazing because we're all fascinated to read it as we go along week to week but we still want to buy it we don't just kind yeah. of think oh I can get it free on the internet we want to have the cute like square bound book that, oh yeah, and yeah. a little row I'm a sucker for that kind of thing yeah exactly <laughs> and I so it's kind of all of the I mean I think comics traditionally just kind of goes like oh no, the sky is falling, we're all going to be out of a job, this is terrible. And I think that possibly that's what everybody thought would happen if if women were going to turn up and do all their feminism in the middle of it. I think, <laughs> I think that basically um, the sort of, uh, the refreshing, like a new influx of, of creative talent, of ideas, of like process with like all those sort of, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just follow millions and millions and millions of amazing female artists on Twitter. Yep. So mm-hmm. whenever there's like a kind of uh, a week where everybody just retweets their like, you know, their favorite artists, I'm just sat there going like, follow, 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 follow. And it's ridiculous because there's no way I could possibly take in any of those content kind of all at once. But it just I think it comes from the periods where if you found another woman, a woman selling comics at a convention, then that was like a novelty. I, I remember going to um, uh, Bristol back in 2003 or something. And Bristol was like this, it, it felt enormous at the time because it was this kind of big, big hall with a lot of tables. But it, it's like, you know, like more like a, a church fate kind of size, <laughs> really. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. By like, you know, modern, yes. modern standards. But I remember going there and meeting Vicky Stonebridge, who um, she used to do uh, a brilliant, like, violent cowgirl comic that was, she wrote and drew it herself. And it was um, this amazing, proper Wild West, so it's proper, like, dirty and kind of miserable. And But she's got this big gun and she's, like, out there. And it, it was so different. She drew it all herself and it was so different to everything that was around it, which was still kind of muscular guys and all this like mm. um even in the small press there was still kind of but she was the first woman who was making comics that I actually met in in the British kind of small press scene and I remember um Wild West Wendy that was it and I remember thinking oh she's amazing look her character's like her characters are really cool and she's got loads of tattoos and she's sort of she gets it and she's a woman and a feminist and still doesn't and hasn't totally given up on comics. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was really like um, encouraging to see some like out of a whole hall full of tables that there was a woman sat there drawing comics and just comics that she was interested in. The thing that has massively changed since I did the piece for Warren is that with everybody being on tumblr and twitter and instagram and everything then everybody's your access you can you can find and stumble on you know an entire galaxy of amazing female artists and you don't ever have to know about boob windows or unrealistic spines or you know what i mean you can actually sort of sidestep that entirely and not go near mainstream fandom and just kind of (laughs) if you want to just draw comics about 
queer unicorn kind of amazing period drama like whatever it is that you're into you can just do it and nobody's there's enough people that are just like yeah that's cool do that i'll buy it i'll crowdfund it i'll read it i'll review it you know i'll it's opened up that there's enough space for everybody to do their thing and i think to go from you know one woman sat behind a table at the whole convention or like three of us sat on our little kind of um women in comics panel and going like oh one of my heroes was wonder woman because <laughs> you know she's a woman and she's... <laughs> it's really it's lovely to be kind of um i think that those panels would go very very differently now if everybody didn't kind of um, take massive offence at being put on a women in comics panel and kind of burn the entire place down. But um, yeah, not that I advocate that. But um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I think I think it's. I think there's still a massive, massive way to go. I think that the yeah. whole kind of comics gate stuff and all the. I think that obviously, the the guys in the sweaty locker room of the male bastion of comics fandom feel terribly threatened that you know that a load of girls might come in and start doing gay unicorn stuff all over their locker room and i don't think that the girls are very interested in going in the locker room at all and i don't mm. think that they mind what the guys do in there it's just like yeah guys that's fine you do that <laughs> you do you it's fine but i do definitely think that it's they're dub they seem to be doubling down and going like if you don't like this then we're going to do it extra we're going to be more appalling we're going to and it makes me sort of a bit sad that that's what people want to spend their energy and life doing <laughs> it's um it's part of that kind of i it's something that i don't think any of us that had that can remember what it was like before the internet before everybody had this super connected web of of people that agreed with them you know mm. that is a powerful thing and i mean that's why i feel like oh yeah we've come a long way you know hooray for feminist comics but that's because i've got a super connected hand curated network of people that agree with me so yes yeah, so you've stuff. got the echo chamber there <laughs> exactly and and you know and so have all of these other guys and it's kind of it's hard if you've got that echo chamber to to see the world to step outside of it and see it a different way and the thing that kind of I think everybody is finding a bit disappointing is when you've got people that are in the public eye who, you know, are professionals and they're kind of coming down on that side of it. I find it really sort of uh, really odd. Just, I don't know. I mean, everybody's different and everybody's got their own opinions, but it's just kind of weird to see people going, right, this is, this is the hill I'm prepared to die on. And you just think like, it's such a weird hill it's such a weird like boo with people that believe that people should be free <laughs> uh, like is it, yeah you know, like, freedom bad and you go but what does that actually do to you how does that affect you never mind <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's yeah it's a bit it's sort of scary times as we as we say at the moment but and i think that obviously seeing the sort of impact of that on on something that's so kind of feels so small and small and cozy as comics you know it's not like you know movies or music or novels or whatever where they're, they're just these enormous 
massive kind of nebulous industries like comics is still relatively so tiny and it just kind of i don't know just makes me sad because you know it's like you like to think of comics as being having people that have at least got more of a kind of a sense of humor or a sense of of a sense of anything really but uh, <laughs> but yeah <laughs> yeah it's, um it's, what i find really kind of disappointing is that i see you know as you say like a lot of these sort of creator owned or you know indie kind of comics where people are doing something different or particularly like different representations of body types that is just something yeah. that i i think is amazing that we've seen that but then when you come back and look at the really mainstream ones they're all still super skinny you know the women always have massive busts and tiny waists and the men all have these ridiculous muscles and and it's just really sad that we're everywhere else people are sort of starting to embrace that there are many kinds of people in the world but then you still have the the mainstream or the superhero kind of look and and even you know the the wonderful new miss marvel still looks incredibly thin and you know you know there are it's like we can take one tiny sidestep towards something different but we've not they just aren't really encompassing more diversity and i yeah i I totally agree i think um there was that faith that had the 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 sort of um fat girl hero in it but honestly like body body representation um i i kind of i think if you're like i've always been fat so i've always grown you grow up with the whole world being like showing you thin people and you just go oh well i don't fit in anywhere because you know if you're fat then that just means that you're kind of this weird anomaly even if there's millions of you you're a weird anomaly you go oh thanks but um i think that the uh, the sort of the stuff that i really love at the moment is the um i saw a thing the other day what was it it was like a uh, you know all the sort of the little challenges were like like Inktober or you know mm-hmm. the yeah. ones where and I love it because there's always a load of amazing artists that do they just sort of come up with a set of characters and somebody yesterday I forget what their name was they did a set of characters of just um, different body types and they weren't they sort of half of them were kind of masculine more masculine looking body types and half of them were um more feminine but they were like they were muscular or kind of soft or skinny and kind of lithe or like all different for male and female characters and i think they did i think they did six of each and i was just like this is you know when you're designing a, a sort of a team in a book then you know, if you think of like the Fantastic Four or any of those, then you're like, oh, you've got the big Hulk guy, you've got the stretchy guy, you've got the <laughs> like, you've got the woman, um, you've yeah. got the guy mm-hmm. that goes on fire. Um, you know, it's the, the you, a team, a, a, like a staple of of comics is the team book. Everything, you know, like, kind of comes back to oh, you have like this sort of team of different people, then how do they get along? It's not that people have not been able to do it in the past. It's just seeing it done in such a in such a positive way of like it's okay to be all of those different types of people. It's okay to be it's okay to be you. It's okay to kind of um be attracted to all those different types of people all at once if you want to, you know. Mhm. It always really really sort of 
gladdens my heart when I find some new sort of an, an artist that is just starting out on their kind of oh it's this like gay romance comic about a, a bear and a you know what and I'm just like yes do that <laughs> like it's you might think it's niche but believe me there is like thousands of people that are just gonna totally you know it's nothing is niche anymore I think that <laughs> <laughs> that or the niches are like more accommodating or I don't know but it's um it's wonderful it's like a it's really sort of refreshing and anytime I feel like I'm getting really dragged down by any of the sort of comics gate side or the kind of how uninventive unimaginative the sort of mainstream of comics is anytime I feel like I'm sort of um sick of the sort of bat wang kind of um end of it then there's sort of the I don't even know if it's the like because it's all on Twitter I never know if these people are like you know most of them seem to be kind of 17 and already an amazing animator and I'm like how do you get to do that by the time you're 17 by the time I was 17 I was like drinking cider in the park <laughs> yeah <laughs> like <laughs> people have got much higher kind of um life life goals and plans than I did but um there's the yeah so all these kind of really young super talented amazing like animators that happen to do a bit of like they do character design and, and comics and kind of stuff on the side. And I'm just like, it it cheers my, my heart to know that there's like this kind of army of queer, witchy, odd, just amazing people out there making. I want them all to make more comics all, all the time and I'll just read them and I'll be totally happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, we love to focus on sort of like the positive elements, although, you know, the, as a podcast, we try and, you know, shout about like, look, we can do amazing things just because we're women and there's amazing female characters out there and all this. But um, we try to look at it from a positive angle. So, I mean, do you have any like favorite um, writers, artists, uh, ongoing series that you think are, are doing real justice to women at the moment? Oh, no. Let me see, because there's there's loads, but I just um, find it hard to remember them. I really loved um, Black Magic that Nicola Scott did. Like, Wicked and the Divine is yes. two guys <laughs> writing it. So really, technically, two guys in comics. It should be ripe for all kinds of, of awfulness. But obviously, Jamie and Kieran have made the most astonishing They've done an astonishing, like, ever-changing cast of ever-evolving, amazing wonderfulness. And they it ticks all of my kind of nerdy, nerdy classical and literature boxes. It, it ticks all of my kind of oh, just a funny, every, it's funny, it's really cleverly put together, it's really, like um yeah i'm i'm a huge fan i haven't actually kept up with buying the trades because i never leave the house so i just kind of sit in the house and go, <laughs> oh man but um what else have i have i liked i loved uh i loved saga i absolutely loved the kind of the look of it and i'm i'm a huge like i've always been a huge science fiction nerd i've always read piles and piles of science fiction neil stevenson and like all uh, 
you know, big, yes. enormous, fat science fiction books. So yep. I'm, any of that kind of end of it, I'm really into. What have I actually enjoyed and read that does justice to the... It's not that I don't that I don't think there are any. It's just that I am hopeless and do not leave my house. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I literally don't. I just sit in my house and try and kind of um, cope with my children. If you were going to pitch Conspiracy of Ravens to our listeners, you know, give us the hard sell. Why should we read it? Why should we pick it up? Okay, um, Conspiracy of Ravens is a story of a girl who's she's at a boarding school and she discovers that she's inherited her her aunt's locket and her crumbling mansion and she finds out that the locket has magical powers and she finds a box in the mansion that has these other items of jewelry in it and basically she's she's got to work out what the what the magical jewels do who they go to who who inherits them why why is all any of this happening why is why is this like what was the origin why are these being handed down and she discovers that her her old you know great aunt was part of a super team in like the sort of end of the 19th century beginning of the 20th century so she's all these like what you think of as your little old grandmas back in the day they were wearing cool costumes they had awesome powers they did amazing had amazing adventures and so the girls have got to like they've got to sort of make sense of it and and figure out about their own powers and also they've kind of just got to get to know each other because they're they're only just kind of discovering all of this for themselves so the the book this is the the first book we you know we we really sort of hope that we we get to do some more because it's it really is kind of uh, the origin and it's um the boarding school the girls are there and they're you know sneaking about in dormitories and going off on adventures and everything you could want from a middle middle grade romp basically um um it's um it's fun and it's magical and it's kind of got a load of like british you know spy stuff in there they they they're, they're creeping about there's some excellent baddies i'm very pleased with the baddies in it because they're kind <laughs> of weird creepy um weird creepy stuff goes on but it's not like um it's it's not appalling there's also my favorite character in it is Anne's our main character and she's it's her who inherits the hall but her best friend binky is the um the librarian at the school and she's like a total nerd and is really um she's excellent to have as backup she's she's brilliant at researching stuff and she's she will do just about anything for macaroni cheese she's like she's really uh, (laughs) okay a girl after my own heart (laughs) exactly exactly so i'm just like yes um, make sure everything's filed neatly and eat macaroni cheese is the like yeah so she's my kind of spirit animal in the book <laughs> but um yeah no it's it's um uh it, we we just wanted to sort of and it is it's a team of girls but there are there are boys in the book but they're kind of um just sort of more around the edges so, because we wanted to really get into like the girls and their friendships and their sort of what they all make of each other and everything so yeah 
it's cool. And the whole kind of, you know, magical folklore, the, the, the powers that they have, that they get from um, these jewels are, are almost ends up being kind of secondary to the, to their, them kind of, you know, how they get on and how, the, what they, you know, their friendships and everything. But it is, it's fun. It's really, really fun. It's the, it's, I think it's uh, the fa- my favourite thing we've written, definitely, by a long way. If you're anything like me, I'm sure you are going to be running out to go and buy a copy of Conspiracy of Ravens. And thank you so much to Leah Moore, a wonderful guest today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. <laughs>